Welcome to another bonus episode of the Food for Thought podcast. I'm your host, Erin Hallstrom. On today's special episode, we're talking with Kaiser Compressors of the ISO Class Zero Compressed Air. Join me as I talk with Neil Melchutter, Technical Director, and Werner Rauer, Product Manager, about what Class Zero Compressed Air really is. We talk about what a Class Zero label really means, as well as what guidelines and specifications there are for Class Zero Air in food and beverage applications. And we wrap things up talking about whether there are energy or other cost implications for higher levels of air quality. Enjoy the episode! Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Food for Thought podcast. Let's jump right in. Can we start things off by explaining what does class zero mean as it relates to compressed air? Sure. Um, it's an interesting term. You know, usually when you say zero, you think, oh, okay, was this, is this good or bad, right? You know, is the zero uh, the best you could do or is zero the worst you can do? So when, when you apply it to compressed air, uh, there's something that uh, defines air quality, and that's the International Standards Organization, ISO uh, 8573.1, uh, which was updated in 2010. And that describes three different types of contaminants. And those contaminants are solids, uh, particulates, dust, uh, then humidity, and then total oil content. And with those three, you can define what class you're in. So each has a class zero, if you would, uh, class one through uh, even nine or, or greater. So the idea here with class zero is it's less than the definition of class one for each of those three contaminants. And so that gives us an idea on you know, how clean the air might be. I didn't want to clarify that class zero is basically user defined below class one. So as Werner said, if the customer has a very specific need or want, then and it's lower than whatever class one is, we would define whatever that is and then and then try to deliver that based on what air treatment that you provide. So that's the big ticket, you know, filtration uh, to remove uh, dust, particulate, oil, and then how to knock out the water that's in the ambient air, uh, and then whatever oil may be entrained in, in that air system, uh, either in the ambient air or um, from the compression uh, stages. I know some oil-free compressor models are labeled class zero. Is that the same thing? So in general, um, when you're defining class zero, we're talking about, again, those, those three um, contaminants, uh, solids, humidity, and then oil as well. And so, you know, some compressors, uh, even ones that, that we would provide, uh, include um, internal uh, either refrigeration or uh, internal heated compression uh, when it comes to, uh, say, an oil-free compressor or even an oil flooded compressor uh, would have a refrigerated dryer as well as internal. So to define what that compressor output might be, you know, we could certainly do that, but if it's just a general compressor, no attached dryer, no attached filtration, then you're subject to whatever you're bringing in with the ambient air. So, you know, we've seen systems where um, 
let's say, questionable placement of compressors mean that the compressor is going to ingest something. In a lot of cases, that might be fumes uh, from delivery trucks. And so those fumes are going to have hydrocarbons in it. So if there's no air treatment that's downstream of your compressor, then you're going to get those hydrocarbons that are in the ambient air down into your process. So to, to answer the question, you know, are those compressors that are labeled class zero really class zero? Well, I, it'd be hard to define that if there's no additional filtration to ensure that you're getting out whatever is in the ambient air or whatever you might be putting back in uh, from the compression uh, and or, let's say, piping as well. A compressor that is oil-free with such a label still, as, as Neil said, it still needs downstream cleaner treatment equipment to reduce the water content, the contaminants, and any hydrocarbons that came from the ambient air. Uh, typically, as a minimum, we recommend either a fine coalescing filter or a carbon filter after the dryer. Let me give an example. You're in the basement of a dairy, a milk processing and packaging plant. And along with the tanks of cleaning fluids, there's also an ammonia refrigeration equipment right there in the room where the compressor is sucking in the air. Any of these contaminants would end up in the milk jugs without further clean air treatment. Are there guidelines for a class zero air for specific industries or applications? In general, yes. There are tons of guidelines and rules about food safety. Uh, I name one uh, in Europe, worldwide, the Codex Alimentarius, uh, over here, SQF, FDA, just to name a few. But uh, you will have a hard time finding real detailed specifications that are related to ISO 8573 for any particular food application. The guidelines about air quality for food safety worldwide are mostly non-specific. So food processing companies have to perform risk assessment for each process they use, and they make their own decisions based on industry norms, equipment manufacturer recommendations or requirements, best practices, and past experience, and recommendations from compressed air equipment providers. Ultimately, they are, they are the operators are responsible for the products they make and provide any associated product recalls. However, there are some specific uh, in terms of water particulates and oil for other areas. For example, grade D breathing air from the OSHA standard uh, 29 CFR 101.134, they uh, limit the oxygen content, the hydrocarbon, the carbon monoxide, the carbon dioxide, and here they say that the air which the people breathe with the uh, uh, breathing air mask cannot have more than five milligrams per cubic meter of air or less. So believe it or not, they are measurement instruments just for that because there is the specifications, there are instruments that measure just exactly that. Uh, another one is the NFPA 99, medical gases in healthcare facilities um, where they say that the compressor, compressor's chamber where they compress the air cannot contain any oil or hydrocarbons. And that's pretty much uh, all they say. They also say quite a bit about where the ambient air for those compressors should come from. Then we have in the, um, an instrument air quality standard in ANSI ISA 700 from 1996. Uh, there are pressure dew point, particulate size, and here lubricant content. And they say that for instrument air, 
they say less than one ppm by weight, which is about 1.2 milligrams per cubic meter. Um, there's one more, the uh, Safe Quality Food Institute here, located in Alexandria, Virginia, and they basically say that compressed air or other gases, remember there's nitrogen and carbon dioxide in food, that contacts the food or food contact surfaces shall be clean and present no risk to food safety. And the next note is, and shall be maintained and regularly monitored for quality and applicable food safety hazards. Last but not least, there is a beautiful best practice guide called BPG 102 from the British Compressed Air Society, BCAS, uh, available at their website, bcas.org.uk, knowledge base, best practices. Those guidelines, they come the closest in my mind in terms of specific recommendations per ISO 8573. Uh, some may say that those are a little bit exaggerated, Maybe not, but it's definitely a good read in terms of overall insulation, operation, maintenance, and monitoring topics. And it's only 27 pages. <laughs> there you go, only 27. It's perfect. Um, you know, so I guess it depends on how much time you have, right? Uh, I, I do find that uh, the interesting thing for uh, the BCAST um, specification is it, it does go through, you know, incidental or indirect contact and then, um, you know, planned contact with food. So that's, that's the interesting thing I think that can certainly help uh, those uh, plant engineers or process engineers decide uh, what is required in, in each of their different points of use. Because that, that may be the case. So the, the British Compressed Air Society 27-page guideline, fantastic, great read, highly recommended for plant and process engineers that are trying to design their system. I think the interesting thing with that too is it provides direct and indirect contact uh, with food recommendations. So that's, that's kind of a, a really important thing to really dial down and figure out what each point of use may need because the required filtration and or uh, drying type uh, may not be as, let's say, involved um, for, for every specific point of use. So something to consider as well. Are there any energy or other cost implications for higher levels of air quality? That's a very good question, and I would say we would not have a need for this discussion if the answer would be no. So yes, in general, oil-free co school compressors are not as efficient as oil-injected units, and we are talking there uh, in the range of about 10 to 15% uh, in specific power which the uh, oil-free compressors uh, have a higher need for power to produce the same amount of air at the same pressure. Uh, the purchase cost of oil-free school compressors also is higher by about 30 to 50% uh, for the same, again, same amount of flow and uh, the same pressure. Uh, if the guideline is to use very low pressure dew points, like minus 40, Fahrenheit or centigrade, they accidentally are the same. There are added costs due to the drying of the compressed air, no matter which principle of uh, compressor you're using. And uh, they range anywhere from 4 to 20% of energy cost, uh, plus the extra cost for the equipment and maintenance of these uh, specific dryers, uh, if you compare this to a standard refrigeration dryer. Higher levels of uh, air treatment, they impact the efficiency. You have purge air, pressure drop, uh, extra filters or not. 
but this may be a necessary trade-off for the air quality you need. So like you said earlier, look at the application and then you treat it uh, uh, as needed, uh, but you're not going to provide the entire building with a certain high-grade specific uh, air quality if you only need it in one location. The best practice is to identify where do you need this higher air quality and apply, if possible, point-of-use filtration or dryers and filter the whole plant only for the overall grade of air quality that's required. This saves overall on energy and maintenance costs. Um, in some cases, uh, the plants may run all three units where needed with the higher level of air treatment. We see this uh, quite a bit. Uh, some people want to sleep at night, so it's more like an insurance policy, um, but uh, they can they balance this, uh, the need for sleep with the higher upfront cost, uh, which they have, but possibly better long-term uh, insur insurance. Uh, let's say I just read about another recall on some chocolate with uh, milk chocolate where they had uh, contamination of um, salmonella. Uh, this is something which costs quite a bit of money, so you need to weigh that uh, in terms of what do I use for my compressed air so I don't have to have a recall because of that, which is very unlikely, but certainly a possibility. I think um, I'll, I'll add to that too. You know, in, in a lot of these food processing facilities, um, heat recovery is a big topic. Um, and then you have to decide how are you going to use um, that heat recovery. Um, and then what type of cooling are you using for your compressed air system? Um, in a lot of cases, they're air-cooled machines. And, and in some cases, they're also water-cooled. Uh, Water-cooling compressors can really offer a significant value when it comes to heat recovery. And, and this is also the case, too, with, with air-cooled. Um, but that can certainly be an offset cost in regard to um, your overall operating cost, not just of your compressed air, but also of your facility. So you do see a lot of folks in the food processing um, uh, world, they're, they're looking at that, how can I <clears throat> best use uh, the heat of compression um, or that waste heat that the compressors are putting out? Um, and you do see that a lot with water cooled compressors. But the, the offsetting situation, too, is, you know, what's that overall cost? Like Berner said, you know, the cost to compress air can be high, especially when you need very specific pressure dew points and or uh, air quality. Um, that risk assessment, whether you decide to go an oil-free compressor or an oil-flooded compressor, uh, that will significantly increase your overall operating costs. But the nice thing, too, about oil-free is that there are very high um, operating temperatures, and so that gives you a little bit more opportunity to use that waste heat, um, especially if you're looking at uh, cooling water or um, uh, using that to, um, as a preheat for some kind of process that you already have. I want to thank you both so much for joining me for this special bonus episode of the Food for Thought podcast. everyone listening to the Food for Thought podcast today, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories 
behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.